Those who know what I'm going to talk about can repeat it after me, because it took me a long time to work out this title. I don't like to waste it. The topic today is how to exchange, come on, how to exchange your beat up Model T Ford for a, no, not new, for a brand new shiny Mercedes S-Class V12. <laughs> convertible. <laughs> so that's the topic today. The theme is this because I want you to understand that this is not to be taken literally. The theme is getting rid of something bad and getting something good in its place. I'm going to talk today about how God makes a tremendous difference how you can be a new person, how you can be a new person now, and how you can have a new body soon. How you can get rid of the old, beat-up Model T and get a brand-new, shiny Mercedes S-Class V12 with an option of a being convertible. I want you to take your Bible, please, and come with me to Isaiah 61 and verses 1 to 3, dear hearts and gentle people. Isaiah 61 and verses 1 to 3 to the gospel prophet. Now, this is a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church, and we want you to turn in the, to the Bible. When I announce the passage, I want you, please, if you can, to take the Bible out of the pew and turn to the passage. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1 and onwards. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And the word good news is translated, of course, in other parts of the Bible, the gospel. The gospel, contrary to a million sermons, is not good advice. The gospel is good news. Advice is about what you ought to do. News is about what someone has already done. And the good news is about what God has already done for us in Christ. That's very important. He's appointed me to preach good news to the poor, the poor in spirit. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes there's the exchange a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning there's the exchange the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Today we're going to talk about exchanging the old for the new, the inferior for the superior, the bad for the good, the ugly for the beautiful, the sad for the glad, the corruptible for the incorruptible, the mortal for the immortal, immortal and the beat up for the upbeat. 
So the Bible says, I'm going to exchange all of those things that you may think are important, and I'm going to take away some things, and I'm going to give you the oil of gladness. I'm going to take away the depression, and I'm going to give you the spirit of joy and the spirit of hope. I am somewhat an authority on old cars. No longer, but I was an authority on old cars. As a boy, my father had a succession of old cars. The first car that I can remember when I was a little boy in Australia was a very, very old Chevrolet utility that rattled. I have no idea how old it was, but it was old when we got it. And mum and dad sat in the front and the rest of us sat in the back. It was air-conditioned. And then as time went by, my father replaced the old beat-up Chevrolet utility, which you call in this country a pickup, for a blue Studebaker that was then 20 years old when we got it. We thought it was the greatest thing that had ever come out of Detroit. It was a blue Studebaker. It was a 1928 model. It had a sun visor. It had running boards and no starter. And so my father had to start it by cranking it. And it had the capacity to kick like a mule. I can remember on a Sunday, do you know what I'm talking about, Mr. McMullen? Bless you. You had one too? Your wrist was broken by it. I have a personal testimony here today. A man who is willing to authenticate the validity of my sermon. Tell them, your wrist was broken. My wrist was broken. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I took the microphone lest you were to qualify. I can remember uh, one day when we were traveling, uh, my father got into a mood whereby he became a little more daring than usual because he was somewhat conservative and he said let's give her a go let's see what she can do <laughs> I remember we got up to 40 miles an hour it was shaking and my, I can still remember as though it were yesterday my mother crying out stop Jim you'll kill us all think of the children Now, I want you to imagine the Model T, which is going to be used to illustrate the gospel. I want you to think of the Model T and the tires are flat. The engine is seized up. The springs are broken. The battery is flat. The panels are rusted. It is badly in need of a paint job. Can you visualize with your sanctified imaginations this poor, beat-up old Model T? I tell you, my friend, that Model T won't get you where you want to go. Don't expect to go far in it because it doesn't have the capacity. Now listen to this. That is a picture of man without God. Did you hear this? The Bible does not use flattery when it describes the human condition. 
The Bible says man without God is in such a debilitated state that he cannot go where he wants to go. I want to establish this truth uh, from Holy Scripture. I want you to turn now to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 6, please. These words will not flatter us today. Please come with me to the book of Isaiah, or Isaiah, whichever country you come from, but I'm slowly coming around. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 6, dear people. Here is a description of human nature. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 6. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with wine. And then when you turn to other passages, the picture continues. I want you to come to the book of Psalms, and please notice it in the Bible. Come to the words of David, Psalm 51 and verses 3 to 5, please. Book of Psalms 51 and verses 3 down to 5. The words of David, Psalm 51, verses 3 to 5. He says, I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. It is not a case of man coming to the age of accountability and then becoming sinful. The Bible says that we are sinful from the time that we are born. We are sinful from the time that we are conceived. The Bible says, I was born in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And the Bible says, every part of the human race has become corrupted by sin. I want you to come over here to Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3 to the great writings of the great Apostle Paul. Book of Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 2 and verses 1 down to 3. Please take time and turn to the texts. There is power in the Word of God. If you come to this church, you'll be blessed if you turn to the passages. And if you listen to the Word of God, there's power in the Word. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. You say, does this apply to every person? The Bible says it applies to you. The Bible says it applies to me, born in a state of sin. And the Bible says the head is sick. Every part of the human condition, the Bible says, is corrupt and fallen, and God wants to change it. Would you come over here to Mark chapter 7, to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark the 7th chapter and verse 20 and onwards, 20 to 23. 
the words of Jesus. Mark chapter 7, turn to the words of Jesus. Mark 7, verse 20, he went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, evil, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. I want to tell you, my friend, that system is not going to get you where you want to go. And if you want to go to heaven, that old Model T is not going to take you there. And it can't be repaired. And God says, I will not repair it. But God says, I will renew you. And God tells us, give it up. But many of us, my friend, because of our blindness, are holding on to an old Model T with a flat battery and everything else wrong with it when God offers us something superlative. The theologians have a name for this doctrine that I'm speaking about today. It is called the doctrine of total depravity. What does it mean? Does it mean that man is totally depraved and cannot get worse? No, it does not mean this, but it means the doctrine of total depravity, that I am depraved totally in every area of my being. I am depraved. Sin has influenced my mind. It has influenced my emotions. It has influenced my drives. It has influenced my appetites. It is the doctrine of total depravity. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. There are two great truths that you and I must learn. And we are very slow to learn it. Or slow to learn them. Number one. Man is much worse than he ever feared to think. Man is much worse than he ever feared to think. Look around the world. Look at Rwanda with a million people murdered by lots of Christians or churchgoers. Look at Bosnia. Look at Serbia. Look at Northern Ireland. Look at Los Angeles. The Bible says man is much worse than he ever feared to think. But the second truth is God is much better than he ever dared to hope. God is much better than he ever dared to hope. And that is the good news. I want to tell you, you do not need good advice. That's why psychology sermons basically are not helpful. There is a place for Christian psychology. We have a great Christian psychologist in this church, Dr. Rose Pitt, whom we love and appreciate and admire and respect. But the pulpit was not ordained to give people advice. I need more than advice. I need good news. And the good news is all that I need for time and eternity. God has already accomplished in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, I will give you beauty for ashes, the oil of gladness for the spirit of mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness and the spirit of despair. 
God will exchange the old for the new, the inferior for the superior, the bad for the good, the ugly for the beautiful, the sad for the glad, the corruptible for the incorruptible, the mortal for the immortal, the beat up for the upbeat. He'll exchange the beat up old Model T for a brand new shiny S-Class Mercedes V12 with leather seats. I meet people who say, what must I give up to become a Christian? Nothing that's worth keeping. The smoker says, what must I give up? Your bad breath. What must I give up? You don't have to give up anything that's worth keeping unless you want something with a flat battery, flat tires, and a starter that won't go. Don't talk to me about giving up stuff. God's not asking you for anything. God's offering you something. Don't forget it. If you don't understand this, you're going to be a mournful, sour churchgoer, but you won't get to heaven. And the reason churches are filled with cold, legalistic, unapproachable church members is because they've given up, but they've never got. You see? They're still driving. The old Model T. <laughs> I want to show you what God is offering. Would you come over here to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8? So don't come to me and complain and say, oh, I've got to give up lots of stuff. You're not giving up anything that's worth keeping except a flat tire. Come over here to Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 8. Please turn to this great passage by the great Saint Paul the prince of the theologians, the exponent of righteousness by faith. The gospel is dimly perceived, my friend, by the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians. The vast majority do not understand the gospel. They are walking in darkness, and thus the church is impotent, even dead. They do not share their faith because it isn't worth sharing. They do not do evangelism because evangelism means the preaching of the gospel. And because they do not know the gospel, how can they preach it? Therefore, they're down on it. You see? Let me show you what God is offering, dear hearts and gentle people. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 8, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, there's the good news, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised 
us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That's the new Mercedes. <laughs> the gift of grace, a new life, a new person, changed by the grace of God. The Bible says, if any man is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Paul says, we are ministers of reconciliation. Therefore, be reconciled to God. God has reconciled to you. Be reconciled to God. For God made him to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that tells you how it works. When the Holy Spirit comes into the life, he reveals Jesus dying on the cross. And when a person sees Jesus dying on the cross, a new soul is created in the image of God. Has it happened to you? You can go to some churches for a hundred years and you can hear a lot of sermonizing and a lot of smart, cheap talk, but you will drive home in a beat-up old Model T. It is when the Holy Spirit comes and talks to me, either in church, like on this occasion, or when I'm studying the Bible. If you don't read the Bible every day, it's because you're driving a Model T. Because the people who are driving the new S-Class with the leather seats and the chrome wheels <laughs> and the new Michelin tires are the people, my friend, and I'm talking symbolically, are the people who have met Christ. I want to introduce, for the purpose of the television audience, some of my team members. I said to them, if we can't testify to what God has done, then there's something wrong. So, I'm going to ask some of the people who serve with me, who are part of our team, uh, Susan, Mrs. Susan Pirano. Uh, Susan joined this church uh, after the shrine meetings, and uh, she is now connected with our ministry. She's my secretary, and I want you to tell Susan of your involvement with Christ and how God gave you something new. Well, like you said, it, it all started back in the Shrine Auditorium. I was raised in an Adventist home, but I never had an understanding of the gospel message. And I thank God that he took me to those meetings at the Shrine Auditorium. And slowly but surely, it started to sink in. And I started to realize that nothing I ever could do could give me salvation because Christ has already done that for me. And I praise God because uh, I was able to share that with my children and my family. And now we have a different attitude. And before the Sabbath used to be a burden for me. 
And now I can say, praise God, that I look forward to the Sabbaths and it's a joy. And I praise God that he has brought me here today. And I pray that he will use me in many ways in the future. Bless you, Susan. Thank you. Bless you. Harold. These are good testimonies. And these are people who uh, carry the burden of this ministry. And I want you to meet them because uh, I want you to see that what we're talking about, folks, this is not just pie in the sky. If this doesn't work in our lives, let's forget it. But I want you to know it works. This is the good news. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. We're saved by the grace of God. But I tell you what, folks, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And uh, Harold came to us. He came to our meetings at the Shrine Auditorium in 1990. And then I'm going to tell you folks something, because I still get a bit mad about this, Harold, but I've taken six years to work this out of my system. Rose Pitt's been worrying with me. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Harold came along to this church from the Reform Movement, which is filled with Reform Adventists, which an organization that is filled with wonderful, devout, earnest people, but on the whole, they don't know the gospel. And Harold came into this church to spy out the land so that he could win members from our congregation to the Reform. Uh, but you're here today, Harold, <laughs> glory be to God. I want you to tell the folks, don't hold it back, of how the Lord led you into the gospel, how God gave you something. I received the call when I was uh, 15, 16 to go to Germany to study theology. And I wanted to, but I couldn't stop smoking. And so I, I had a, a, a four T with bad breath and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I said to myself, I'd, I'd stop smoking, and, and of course, I, in a 10-hour uh, trip from L.A. to Germany, I, I smoked my last two uh, packets. I th so I thought I, wa I was going to stop doing, and then uh, two days... I never thought you were so naughty, Harold. I always thought you were somewhat angelic. Now, <laughs> well, it's, it's a new revelation. <laughs> but bless you. Keep going. I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, when I was two days already in Germany, uh, I had two more days left to start uh, studying. And then I, I said to myself, well, I'm not a pastor yet, and uh, I'm not even studying to do that. So I, I was going to uh, smoke again. And you don't need a fake ID. In Germany, you just go and, and you, just, you know, put four Deutschmarks and, you, you know, you smoke. Mm. And I approached uh, the vending machine. I put in two marks. And when I was about to put in the other two marks, I, I felt very weird. And then I heard a voice that spoke behind me in English and said to me, Harold, I can't help you like that. And I, I looked behind me and there was no one and I looked up and there was no one. And then I said, nah, <laughs> that can't be for me. That's for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, not for Harold. And I proceeded again to do it. And the second time the voice spoke to me and, and it's a male voice between my ears and the back of my head. And it said to me, Harold, I can't help you like that. And I just, just want to say that at that moment, I stopped, I turned around, and from that time, I knew that God loves me, He has a purpose and plan for me, and I never touched that demonic incense anymore. Bless you, Harold. Thank God. I want you now, and folks, if there are people here who are grappling with drugs, and alcohol is a drug, and tobacco is a drug, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. 
tell the folks, because I want them to hear this, because many of us have come from a legalistic background. I came from a legalistic background. I hated going to church. I only went to church as a boy because my mother was bigger than I was. <laughs> and uh, I hated going to church. Um, I then came to the conclusion that some preachers, as a form of punishment, should have had their sermons read back to them. Because I believed that then they would have cried out with, with Cain, my punishment is greater than I can bear. So I, I was bored in church, and there, maybe there were reasons I was bored. Maybe it was boring, but I, I hated the Sabbath. My mother said, do, 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 cock-a-doodle-do. So I was brought up in the cock-a-doodle-do-do-do of legalism. You were too. Tell the folks about the revelation of the gospel. When I found out through a Tuesday night meeting that everything I would ever need to do to be saved has been done for me in the person of my substitute, Jesus Christ, and that he accepted me as I was with my failures, with, with my mistakes, and that he went all the way and that the million steps between me and him were all taken by himself except one, the one of faith. I said, well, that's, that's great. It's much more easier to be saved than to be lost because Christ has done it for us. And Pastor Carter, as he was dealing with the book of Romans, especially chapter 3, 4, and 8, just opened my mind to this brand new arena. And I, I've been living in freedom and happiness and in a saved condition with Christ ever since. Bless you, Harold. Now, don't go... I I just want to say to the people here today, and Harold, you can make a comment on this too. Many of us have been brought up in an attitude of legalism. The gospel that is being preached today and from the Bible is dimly perceived in this part of the world. The vast majority of people who go to church don't know it. I've had people come to me almost every week since we've been here say, for the first time in my life, I know that my sins are forgiven. For the first time in my life, I've got peace. For the first time in my life, I'm not critical and pointing at other people. For the first time in my life, I know that I don't have to be perfect to get to heaven. Because there was one person who was perfect and his perfection stands in my place. Harold, do you want to give a message because of your background in the Adventist reform? Do you want to give a message to any person here today who could come from a similar background whether in our church or some other church, about discovering the true gospel and leaving the past behind. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to say one thing. In Galatians, the Bible says that when we have a relationship with God that is based on merit and we endeavor to win his love over, then we frustrate the grace of God and the death of Christ is void. It has no meaning to us. And Basically, in a short moment that I have, I just like to ask the people who've come from a legalistic background, from an area that you know that you needed to do something, and maybe this day on Sabbath you were saved, and tomorrow you're lost, and on Monday you're saved, and on Tuesday you're lost. I just like to let you know, to lift up your eyes from where you're at, and to look at Christ dying from you on the cross, and there see that He's taken all of your sin, all of your failures, and even on your worst day, 
He's loved you. And on your, on your best spiritual day, you have not won heaven. He loves you still. And he does not love you anymore or any less now than what he loved you when he died for you on the cross. Amen. Glory be to God. Thank you, Harold. Bless you. Bless you. A very lovely lady who has been with our ministry for a year now is Marcella Sampayan. And uh, her husband has the music in this church. Next week we're going to have a live, I use the word band. Could I use it, say, symphony orchestra? <laughs> but we're going to have a band and we're going to have praise, marvelous worship. And uh, come over a little closer, Marcella. Marcella is a, uh, a very lovely lady who works in our office. And I want you to tell the folks, Marcella, what Jesus has done for you. Well, I have been raised an Adventist. Um, I have wonderful, loving Christian parents. Um, I've gone to church every Sabbath. I don't want to sound like that to sound like I'm bragging or anything, but I thought, what can I tell? But I remember one time I read a cover of a book that said, How Can I Inherit Eternal Life? And I thought about that for a minute, and I said, It's an inheritance. What do you do with inheritance? It's a gift. Uh -huh. And when I realized that, I realized that the Lord has already done that for me, and he's giving me an inheritance, and all I have to do is just reach out and accept it. And uh, are you happy? I'm very happy, very happy. I know the Lord loves me, just like Harold was saying, when I'm down, when I'm up. I don't have to work hmm. my way towards that. I, it's, it's already done for me. I don't have to work for it. Uh, the good news, Marcella, is that it is true that we are saved by works, but by his works. Yeah, we're saved by the Lord's works. And he has paid the price. And the way into the kingdom of God is by accepting his completed work for us. And we're just so glad, Marcella, that you're a member of our team. God bless you. Mm. And Edwin, too. And you, too. You, too. It works for you, too. We're talking reality. Perhaps the most amazing experience of my ministry, and I have preached around the world, has been my ministry in Russia and Ukraine, where I have seen tens of thousands of people come forward in altar calls. In Ukraine, just a few months ago, 16,000 in one altar call. I've seen people, and some of you have seen this who've come with me, I've seen an auditorium that holds 10 times more than this church, packed to the doors, people standing everywhere packed to the rafters. I've seen the hall at five o'clock filled with atheists and communists, unbelievers. Elder Matika knows this. I've seen people with their heads down. I've seen people in despair and depression and hopelessness. And after 60 minutes of the preaching of the Word of God, as people came forward to accept Jesus, I've seen them completely born again. I've seen their lives remarkably transformed. I've seen God in 60 minutes do more for people in those parts of the world than God has been able to do for some people in 60 years in this part of the world. What I'm telling you, it works. And it doesn't depend upon time. It depends upon your looking to Christ. So new people, new people, mine eyes have seen the glory. And one day soon, I want to tell you folks something else. God makes us new people, gives us new lives because of Jesus. But one day soon, he's going to give us a brand new body. He's going to exchange the old for the new, the inferior for the superior, the bad for the good, the ugly for the beautiful, 
the sad for the glad, the corruptible for the incorruptible, the mortal for the immortal, the beat up for the upbeat. Because the Bible says the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. For this mortal must put on immortality. <laughs> this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. That day is going to come. And that, my friend, is going to be the final exchange. And that final exchange is dependent upon what we do with Christ. This old body, my friend, I want to tell you, it does have flat tires. It does have an engine that is seized up. The springs are broken. <laughs> the battery is flat. The panels are rusted. That's this body. But I want to tell you folks, coming soon when Jesus comes, there's going to be glory forever. There's going to be a new body. And that final exchange is dependent upon the first exchange. And it happens when you and I turn our lives to Christ and look at him and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I am sick of driving a Model T. I want to be new.